This is the read and rant. For those of you who are here for the first time, I am. I'm ranting before I'm even reading. This is horrible. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm ranting about my rant. Um, but, 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 guys, this is why we do the read and rant. The purpose of the read and rant is to engage you every day in the reading of scriptures. And so for those of you who are live with us, we read every day uh, for about 20 to 30 minutes. We read for 20 to 30 minutes every day. And afterwards, you guys get to sit down and endure my rant. But I'm here really to empower you to read the whole scripture. We started this nine weeks ago. And now we're on Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We've read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and now we are in 1 Timothy. We're in 1 Timothy, and this is for the sake of empowering you. Thank you so much, Osvaldo. Thank you so much. Um, and so this is really for the sake of empowering you in the reading of the word. This is to empower you. I'm your coach. You're the real ministers called to you, to the marketplace, called to your spheres of influence. You are the ministers of God. You are the royal priesthood. And so for me, my job is just to empower you in the reading of scripture. That's it. That's all I'm here to do is to empower you. And so that's why I do this. And for many of you, you've journeyed and you've seen now that you can get through a lot of Bible. You can get through a lot of Bible just committing half a Netflix episode a day. You can get through a lot of scripture just committing to half a Netflix episode a day. Look at where we're at now. We started in Matthew nine weeks ago, reading only on weekdays, and now we're in First Timothy. And as you guys know, I have nothing prepared. This is not a Bible study. I'm simply prayerfully asking three questions. What is God revealing concerning himself? What is God revealing concerning his people? What is God revealing concerning me? That's what you should be asking for yourself. What is God revealing concerning you? And so as we open up in prayer, we're going to prepare our hearts to hear from God as we read this word. And I would love for you to read along with me. Um, hold on one second here. My Facebook just froze up. I want to make sure I'm on the right network here. Hold on a second, guys. It says I. Hold on one second, fam. Um, send me a thing. Uh-oh. Uh, okay. Hey, can you guys let me know if you, you guys can, can you guys hear me? Patty, can you hear me? Caleb, can you hear me? Um, I don't know if I'm talking to myself. Uh-oh, it says I'm frozen. Can you, can you guys see me? I, the internet just completely just went out on me. Let's see here. I'm back. Okay, good. Good, Patty. Um, I think I'm gone. I think, 
I think my I think my TikTok family just just disappeared on me. Okay, hold, give me one second, guys. I'm gonna try to to get back on. Okay, hey guys, I lost a whole bunch. Listen, can you guys let me know if you guys? Okay, all right, Tracy. I no, it just said that the Wi-Fi just completely cut off. So I don't know if something shut down in the office, but the Wi-Fi completely cut off. Um. Let's see here. Are you guys with me? Are you guys with me on TikTok? TikTok. Are you guys? Let me know if you guys can see me. Can you guys see me? Can you guys? Can you guys see me? Give me a thumbs up. Give me a waving emoji. Let me know I'm back on. Oh, man, this is tough. Okay, it says I'm frozen. Hold on. Let me see what's going on with the network here. This is awkward. Okay. It's really weird that that would happen. Okay. Give me a second, guys, before we pray and get into the reading. (laughs) My wife just texted me. Yeah, I know. Uh, Let me just text her real quick. Um, yeah, the internet just went out. Um, that is weird. (sighs) Let's see here. All right. Let me see if I can't reconnect with TikTok. Let's see here. Okay. It says lost connection. Let me see. Oh man, this is tough. I'm going to end the live. I'm going to end my TikTok live real quick. I just lost everybody. Uh, It says it's frozen. Yeah, everybody's messaging it's frozen. So they're getting, I'm getting info. Like I'm getting texts from them, but uh, let's see. Actually, let me try to use my iPad's hotspot here. Ah, this is weird. Okay. All right. So let me try this here. Give me a second, guys. And then we'll give it a minute or so. If I can get the TikTok to go again. Let's see. If I can get the TikTok to go again. All right. Boom. Let's see. You must be 16 years old to access live. That's weird that it would tell me that all of a sudden. Huh. I'm really sorry, guys. This is this isn't working. Okay. The router just complete. Okay, the router's back. Let me see. My router just came back. Give me one second here. Let's see if we can. Can you guys still see me on Facebook? Can you guys still see me? Let me know if you guys can. If I'm working over here on Facebook. Um. All right. Maybe my Facebook's frozen too. Okay. Okay. It looks like my, my Wi-Fi is back. Okay. Okay. Here it is. All right. Let's see here. Okay. 
That's bad. Okay. Okay. All right. So here we go. Let's see here. I'm just going to type in read and rant. Give me a second. Read and rant. This is, I, I don't remember the last time that's ever happened. All right. Um, must be 16 years old to access live. Okay. <laughs> that's weird. Okay. Okay. Here we go. All right. It says good connection. All right. Am I getting connection over here? Um, okay. So it's reconnected now. Um, it's reconnected now. Um, okay. All right. So, hey, Brian, what's good? What's happening? All right. Are you guys back on? Are we back? Are we back? Okay. I think we're back. I think we're back. Okay, cool. Awesome. I don't know, guys, what happened there. It was the Wi-Fi. Um, the Wi-Fi went out on me. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Not today. Not today, devil. Not today. Okay, cool. All right. We're back. Uh, wow, we are way over time. So let's get right to it, guys. Um, like I said, we're going to pray. This is the read and rant. We do this every morning. And the whole purpose of this is to spend time to navigate through scripture. We're reading First Timothy today. And I'd love for you guys to read along with me. I've got nothing planned, but we're going to just sit and read the word and hear what the Lord has to say to us today. So let's open up in prayer. And in prayer, we're going to ask three questions. What is God saying concerning himself? What is God saying concerning his people? What is God saying concerning me? And for you, it's you. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time, Lord, that you have given us, Lord, that you, Lord, you give us new mercies every day. As we engage in your word today, Lord, I just pray that you would bless us, Lord. Give us grace, Lord, that we may be able to hear your voice, Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord, wash us with your word, Lord, convict us with your word, build us up, in your word, Lord God, Lord, that we may be rejuvenated, refreshed, and renewed in you. Lord, we came to hear from you today. We came to hear from you today. So bless us in this time. And we say that in your name we pray. Amen. First Timothy chapter one. And we're going to read verse one. And it says this. Paul. An apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience and from sincere faith, from which some having strayed have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if 
one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit to you, son, Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having good faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith, having suffered shipwreck of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Therefore, I exhort first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all who are in authority, that they may lead a quiet, peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam formed first, sorry, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, 
able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. One rules his house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For a man does not know how to rule his house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of faith with a pure conscience. But let let these also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their house, their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and a great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar of and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Now the spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to receive from thanksgiving those who believed in the word of truth for every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving for it's sanctified for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have faithfully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things having the promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance for to the, for to this end, we both labor and, re, and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is a savior of all men, especially those who believe these things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth. But be an example to the believers of the word in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading and exhortation to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands and eldership. Meditate on these things. 
Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to, to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. Honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn how to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. Hmm. And these things command that they may be blameless. If anyone does not provide for his home, especially those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number. And not unless she has been the wife of one man, well rep reported for good works. She has brought up children. If she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has re re sorry, relie relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work, but refuse younger widows, for when they had begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. And not only idle, but in gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire younger widows, marry, bear children, manage the house, Give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some, having already turned aside after Satan, if any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them. And do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scriptures say, you shall not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. And a laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder, except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and for your frequent infirmities. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment. But those of some men follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident. And those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. <clears throat> Let's finish it with the last chapter. 
Let as many bondservants as under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. So the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited as believers and beloved teach and exhort these things. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accords with all goodness, sorry, with all godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reveling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men, corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from such withdraw yourself. Wow. Now godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through many sorrows. Hmm. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Ah, pursue these things. Fight the good fight. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God, who gives life to all things and before Christ, who is who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present age, not to be haughty, nor to trust in the uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Oh, wow. By professing it to some strain concerning the faith, grace be with you. Amen. Father, speak to us in this time. Lord, as you've been afforded a few minutes, uh, speak to us. Lord, encourage us. And we say that in your name we pray. Amen. Caleb. 
Ah, yes. A lot of people have twisted some of the text you just read for their own beliefs. Yes, Caleb. That is absolutely true. Um, the scripture, while some may say it is complex, complicated, if we step back from the scripture and see the context, see who it is written to, why it is written, it provides a framework for how you ought to read it. The book of First Timothy, and, and this is the same for Second Timothy and for Titus as well. These are peculiar books. They're peculiar because these were books that were written to a specific person. Uh, stay with me here for a moment. I don't want to go into a full Bible study. This is this is a Bible study beyond a Bible study. I mean, you, we could spend days, weeks just on this book. And yet this is the read and rant. I'm just here to share what the Lord is really compelling me to speak about in this time. But if you notice, when Paul introduces the letter, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. And Paul writes this letter to Timothy to a person, which is different than the other letters because in the other letters, Paul uh, is writing to a people. He's writing to a church. He's, he's writing to a community. When we read the book of uh, the Gospels, we, we, we know that it wasn't written to a person, but the Gospels were different uh, vantage points to the ministry and the life of Jesus Christ. When we read the book of Acts, we read the book of Acts, and what Luke was doing is Luke was just chronicling the birth of the church and what had transpired. And all these other letters that we're reading are really offshoots to what we saw in the book of Acts. We see the story of Paul sending Timothy to Ephesus after Paul had preached there and um, brought the gospel there. Paul leaves Ephesus and then, and you know, we know how it ends, right? We know the book of Acts ends with Paul being put into house arrest um, by the Roman Empire. And so he's in Rome under arrest. And so he sent Timothy and in sending Timothy, we see a letter here that is written to a specific person for a specific purpose. Um, Timothy is younger. Timothy is a protege of Paul's. We see in the first chapter, Paul refers to Timothy as his son in the faith. Paul has fathered this young man. And he sent this young man over to Ephesus to bring order and establishment to the church. And I think what's most important about this book, and there's so many things to really unpack from this book, but one of the most important contributions of this book is, is what it should look like for an older pastor to raise up a younger pastor. It, it, it gives us a framework for what it looks like for an older apostle 
to raise up a younger apostle. We have a framework here for how a more seasoned man in the gospel of Jesus Christ, how he raises up a younger man called to the ministry of the gospel. And again, I'm speaking into this moment. And if there's anything I hear from Paul is I hear a spiritual father speaking to a spiritual son. And as he's beginning to speak into the spiritual son, he knows his giftedness. He knows his ability. He knows his skill. He knows his commitment. Timothy has given it all. He, Paul sends him to a, a foreign city and Timothy goes without resistance to go and to do what Paul had called him to do. Um, and so Timothy goes to do it. This, this young man um, blindly just goes because he submitted under the authority of Paul. And what's peculiar to me is, and, and what I find here that's becoming less evident nowadays is the willingness for the younger generation to receive from the older generation. We don't hear the wisdom of Paul. We just hear the instruction of Paul. Let me say that one more time. We simply just hear what he's saying, but we're not seeing where he's coming from with what he's saying. Timothy is a practical book. It's not, it's not overly theological. Okay, guys? And sometimes we get overly theological about this book. And we miss out on this is a father writing a letter to a son to impart ministerial wisdom based off of the experiences he's encountered. And the tendency, this is me just speaking into my heart. This is what the Lord is saying to me. The conviction and the tendency that we have is we hear what Paul is saying, but we're not getting the spirit behind what Paul is saying. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we hear Paul giving these rules to, to Timothy, but we're not hearing the experience, the wisdom, the years, the blood, the sweat, the tears, the work that Paul has put in that when Timothy shows up, this is a product of Paul's work. You don't get to call the shots like that. Um, you may think you know more than me, Timothy, but I've been doing this a lot longer than you. And it's not to say Timothy's resistant. I'm speaking to my heart right now. And I'm speaking to the heart of this particular generation where we want to throw away what the generation before us has learned. And we just want to start a new thing in our own thing and dismiss what our church fathers have done, what our church mothers have done. And because now we choose to go about our way, we don't understand this idea and this concept and this principle that there's nothing new under the sun. You know, the older I get, the more time I spend in ministry, the more I'm realizing 
because my father was a pastor. My father is a pastor. The more I'm realizing that the guys before me, they were on to something. But we were so quick to dismiss them because we didn't understand them. And because we didn't understand them, we just went on to go do about our own thing, not realizing that we missed on, missed out on the blessing that comes from just posturing yourself as a son. Oh, we want to be in control, but do we really want to be sonned and fathered? Like, do we want to be fathered? I know this sounds a little weird for me to posture this way because here's the thing. The book of Timothy was written by a pastor to a pastor. And I'm, I'm going to go somewhere here. I'm going to go somewhere here because the body of Christ needs to see this. This is an instruction from a pastor to a pastor, from a, from a spiritual father to a spiritual son who's been called to the work of ministry. But I need it's speaking into something even broader than that. It speaks into the question, family. Have we dismissed the generation before us? Because if there's anything that the scripture is telling me, it's telling me that my elevation in ministry and where I'm going in the gospel will depend not only on the work of grace that, I, that God is doing through me in ministry, but by how much I respect those who have come before me. Ooh, can I go a little deeper? Because when you read this scripture, Paul has called Timothy to lead the church. But he even says, I believe it's in the second chapter. Hold on. I believe it says that even in the second chapter, that he says, For, I exhort you therefore, um, 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 First of all, for all the supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks made to all men for kings or responsibility that may be quiet, uh, be led to a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Saying, pray for your leaders who are before you. Then he speaks about in, in uh, verse eight, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up their holy hands without wrath and doubting in like manner that women adorn themselves. Sorry, that's not where I wanted to go. Hold on. There was a verse here I wanted to take you to. Hold on, hold on. Um, um, if I find it, um, as I'm looking, I want to continue to speak into this because this is what the Lord is convicting me of. But even Timothy, who's younger, he's obviously younger. There it is in first Timothy chapter five, verse one, he says, do not rebuke an older man but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. He, he's, he's telling Timothy, you don't lead with control. You lead with humility. To lead with humility, right? Bearing the image of Christ. To lead with humility means that you lead, not seeing yourself more highly than the person that you're leading. There's a problem, family. 
when a pastor of a church sees themselves more highly than the members of their church. And I find that today for our generation, we tend to have a resistance to older folks. We don't, we don't respect them as we should. There's a problem of honor in today's church. We don't honor those who came before us because we're more educated or we have more information and we know better now. The science is better and the philosophy is better. We're about our ways and doing our thing and our way. And yet Paul is talking to Timothy, who is the leader of the church of a city. He is the bishop of Ephesus. He's the bishop of Ephesus. And he says, even though you lead these people and you have the role of bishop as a man who is younger than the people you lead, don't rebuke an older man. Did you hear that? Don't rebuke the ones who are older than you. Ah. <sighs> but exhort him as a father. He's saying, treat the men you lead and pastor as your own father. Respect them. And he says, the ones that are younger than you, you're no better than them either. Treat them as brothers. And the older women, I don't care where they are in their spiritual maturity. Because they're older than you, treat them as your mother. And the younger women, treat them as your sister with all purity. This is the issue, family. Is we're, we're, we're seeing this brokenness. And I don't know why I'm going here because there's so much, there's so much to unpack from this, but I'm only going to sit here because it's where the Lord is leading me as we need to be convicted this generation as the church of God continues to press on and press forward in this generation, we are losing a blessing by dismissing the generation before us. We want to do new church. We want to do cool church. We want to do the cool things. And we want to dismiss, I'm not saying that, we, that, that the older generation shouldn't be open to what we're doing, but the older generation should be respected highly honored for their work of faith, honored for their lives, honored for their experience, they know better. And if I could take it one step further, you as a pastor might have better doctrine, but they, as your elders, have more wisdom. And fortunate reality in this generation is, is we're okay with throwing the older generation to the side and moving on and doing our own thing. Because it's cool. We want to do our own thing. Forget them. We don't even need them anyway. 
They're hard-headed. They don't listen. They want to do things their way. And so, you know what? We're just going to do our own thing and leave them to the side because we don't need them anyway. How dare you? How dare you? How dare us? We, this generation, how dare we do that? We should be honoring, honoring the generation before us. We should be honoring our spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. And if we don't have spiritual fathers and we don't have spiritual mothers, we should be seeking after them. Today's pastors are okay without spiritual fathers. Today's leaders are okay with not being accountable to someone who's older with more wisdom. What is wrong with us? What is wrong with us? The older generation is so important to the health of the church, and yet we don't have healthy intergenerational ministry context anymore. We just have young churches and we have old dying churches right now. We have young churches and old dying churches. And the unfortunate reality is, is that we are losing the blessing of the wisdom that the older generation has on the younger generation. I, I'm, I'm, I'm reading this. And I want you to understand this is a book that was intended. I want you, before you even break down, because there's some stuff here in this book that is, um, for some, is, is difficult um, to accept. And you go, wait, hold on. And we get into these theological debates about the things in this book, but you're missing what the book is saying. <laughs> you're missing the purpose of the letter. The purpose of the letter was for you to see the dynamic between a spiritual father and a spiritual son. Paul is not speaking on simply um, doctrinal matters. And I'm gonna explain to you what I mean by that. Paul is speaking on the practicality of ministry for Timothy. Whoo! This is where people get really upset and it gets really weird and it gets really awkward because Paul is speaking in practicality to the challenges that he knows Timothy is going to face. And he's saying to Timothy, for you to lead this thing well, these are some things you're going to have to do. His primary task was to protect the message of the gospel, the purity of the gospel, the message of the gospel. But the doctrines that Paul is protecting is the gospel. Paul is not saying, Timothy, go worry about this person's position on this particular doctrinal position and this person's position on this particular doctrinal position and this person. The doctrine that Paul was speaking about was the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Paul was speaking about the gospel. 
He wasn't overly concerned about the other things that people disagree with. How do I know that? I know that because Paul even said that some preach Christ out of envy, some preach him out of strife, some preach him for selfish gain. But I take joy that the gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached. Paul was protecting the message of the gospel, not all these little doctrinal distinctives that we all have. He's not he's not preaching on, you know, uh, women in the church and and how we ought to dress and not to dress. And should we be circum Paul saying circumcision is not he, Paul is not preaching he, when he's talking about the false doctrine. He's preaching about the fact that you're worried about the wrong thing. The circumcision Romans speaks about it. If it's sin to one, let him let him let, let him practice it. But what's most important is the ministry of the gospel is the message of the gospel. Paul's not concerned about all that other stuff. And yet we're so concerned about all these little doctrinal positions that we miss out on the purity of the gospel. This older man is speaking to this younger man and he's giving him wisdom I like this where he says, he says, I therefore, uh, he says, I desire therefore, oh my goodness, I got to go. Wow. I'm already out of time. I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or golds or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. I love this part of the scripture. And this is where people get really uncomfortable because they read the first part and they say, okay, um, women must adorn themselves in modest apparel. And they see all the things that she shouldn't be wearing. She shouldn't, she shouldn't have braided hair or golds or pearls or costly clothing. And then the first thing people do is people go, so women can't wear costly clothing. Women can't adorn braided hair. If you're braiding your hair, you're sinning because look what Paul says here. <gasps> gold, you better not have any gold on you. <gasps> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm being facetious. I'm being facetious. But notice what he said. But he said, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. He's saying, have the women do what is proper. In this context, it is not proper. So let them do what is proper. The question is, is are we practicing modesty and propriety? That's the, we're over here trying to break down and parse through. Okay, don't do braided hair. Don't do go. We're not under the law family. We're under grace. We got to get out of rules, okay? We're not following rules, family. We're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. But what he's saying is, is out of the gospel should be an expression of propriety and modesty. Like we shouldn't be flashy. That's all he's saying. He's saying we shouldn't be flashy. We shouldn't be all out here because our glory is not in our clothes and in our cars and, and in our money. Our glory is in Christ and that's how we ought to live out. For them, braided hair was a thing. 
Right now, braided hair is not a thing. Right? Let the woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over men, but to be in silence. Oh my goodness. Paul is saying women shouldn't talk. Is that what it said there? <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't even know. I wasn't going to do a Bible study, but let me just point one thing out because I got to go. I got to go. I'm ranting. I'm ranting. Ready? It says, read that verse one more time. It says, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Does, does that say a woman cannot speak? It says, let her learn in silence. That's the first thing. It said, let her learn in silence. It's saying, for some reason, when certain people are teaching, there are women who were speaking and not listening to what was being taught. So let me address these women and tell these women, you need to be silent as the scripture is being taught. Then he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Now we see the content. We read this and we go, oh, snap. He's talking about a church service here. Guys, there was no such thing in this time. I don't have enough time to break this down. This is one of the most misappropriated scriptures in the Bible. This was not even written in a time when there was a, something called a Sunday worship. There was no such thing as a Sunday worship service. When it said, well, it says here women shouldn't be preaching. There was no such thing as a Sunday sermon. So how's that possible? Wait, wait, but the scripture is saying that, that, that in church, a woman shouldn't be speaking in the service. There was no service then. So how could Paul be speaking about that when the service didn't exist? And if Paul had an issue with people speaking, sorry, with women speaking, then why would he say if a woman ought to prophesy, let her prophesy with her head covered? You can't prophesy without speaking, can you? So apparently Paul's issue is not with women. Are y'all getting this? Paul's issue is not with women speaking. We read that. Remember, that's why you have to read the Bible in the whole context. Paul's issue is not with women speaking. Paul's issue was with these women that as a spiritual father speaking to a spiritual son in Ephesus, that there was an issue with order in the home. Because in that time, the women... Right there was a there was a a, a, a a feministic movement, and this feministic movement led to an unhealthy perspective of women. It was about it was about the glory of the femininity. It was about self-aggrandizing the woman, and 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 that happened at the consequence and the cost of the man. These were exactly right, Vanessa. These were Amazon women. Who are trying to prostrate their power is very similar to the feminist movement today. So what Paul was speaking about 
was not all women, but this was what was happening in Ephesus. So Paul is speaking to a son who's pastoring in a city that has all these women who are coming in causing all this disorder and all this, this you know, ruckus who willingly chose not to listen to their husbands, chose instead to be wives to each other. Yes, they did that. Chose to practice their own glory and now they wanted to bring it to the church and Paul's like, listen, don't be letting women speak that when they learn, they must learn in silence. But Paul did not say women should never speak because if Paul said women should never speak, then why would Paul allow women to prophesy? Why did he create rules by which a woman should prophesy? She prophesies with her head covered. And I, I taught what that meant. The husband is her, her, he, her head. And if her husband is her head, then her head must be covered, not covered with a cloth. Her head must be covered because the head of the husband is Christ. So Christ must cover him. If the husband is uncovered, then she cannot prophesy. That was the, that was what Paul spoke about there. Ah. How, how do all these other, how do all these other women who have been given leadership positions in the church, Paul, Paul, Paul celebrates all these women who were all powerful women in the faith, who were, who were leaders in the church. Their names were put alongside elders. How were they going to do that? How are they going to do that, guys, without speaking? Tell me how a woman leaves the church in her home. Priscilla and Aquila. Please tell me how Priscilla and Aquila lead a home. And if Priscilla didn't have such a powerful position in the church, isn't it awkward how, or isn't it peculiar how Priscilla's name is said before Aquila's? Priscilla and Aquila. Hmm. Priscilla and her husband, Aquila. Wouldn't it be Aquila and Priscilla? Unless there's something that Paul's emphasizing here. Do you, do you understand? So when we read this, again, when you don't read the whole letter and you don't read the whole book, you read this and go, look, it says women shouldn't speak. No, it said women should learn in silence with all submission. Women shouldn't have authority over a man. That's what Paul was speaking about. He's speaking that women can't be prostrating their authority over men. Women ought to submit to their husbands. It's, it's co-submission. You're not, it's not power over, it's power with. 